0: man you may be seated I've joked about that song before but that's a song you can experiment with out there in the world Walmart Vons anywhere you might be just take that posture and the world let the people wonder why So, what are you doing what are you, what, what's up there just, I'm just praising my king just praising him and thanking him do you know him do you know him, Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords? Someday he's going to rule over everything. Are, are you ready for that? Is he ruling over your heart right now? Just try that sometime. Just before security gets you. <laughs> <laughs> Move on, drop them down. But uh, it's good to know the Lord. And it's good to know the Lord in the midst of a world that by and large doesn't know him at all. Because that gives us a witness, right? That makes us unusual people in this world. That makes it easier to give a testimony when not everybody around us is like us. The scripture anticipates our being different will cause questions to be raised about our Savior and our faith. So uh, let's try every day just to do something that makes us look different, something good, something godly, something honoring to Christ that just is different from the world around us and see what happens. Well, now we're going to open God's Word. Let's ask God to help us with it, shall we? Heavenly Father, this book we hold in our hands is straight from you. It's a precious word of God. Your Holy Spirit has delivered it to us, and now your Holy Spirit would seek to enlighten it to us. We we pray that nothing would quench him, grieve him, in any way hinder him as he seeks to bring truth to our hearts. For we need it. And so we pray that this word would just come alive in our midst this morning. For we ask this in Jesus' name amen now today the apostle john the apostle john and our ever-present teacher and counselor numa the holy spirit himself would focus our attention upon what i'm calling today the highlight of all human history the ultimate experience of mankind upon this present earth it will go down in the history books As the most impressive, the most significant, the most outstanding event that's ever taken place on this earth. And it hasn't happened yet. John's going to reveal it to us this morning. It's a chapter of human experience that you and I, if we are born again Christians in Jesus Christ, if we are born again believers in Christ, we will not personally we'll not experience it in the flesh but we will rejoice in it from the vantage point of the glorified church in heaven so let's rejoice in it even this morning as the scripture reveals it to us it's hope generating revelation number 21 way way back when we started this series 21 weeks ago how many months is that Months, About five, yeah, or so. We're pretty good. Oh, I don't know. Lord, they're not even with me on the month. <laughs> way, way back then, I said, God had showed me, had led me to 22 hope-generating revelations in the book of Revelation, a book that I've never preached on before. But it was like, Wow, all these things are hidden in there that can stir hope in our hearts in the midst of a troublesome time? Well, this is 21, so there's how many to go? One. I'm going to do my best to get all the rest of it wrapped up in one revelation next week. You'll have to come and see how we do that. If I stick with 22, or if I wind up saying, you know, I decide there's 27. We'll see. This is 21, though. 21. The revelation of the thousand year kingdom. Now it's recorded in Revelation chapter 19 and Revelation chapter 20. So we're going to cover a lot of scripture this morning. The revelation of the thousand year kingdom, sometimes called the millennial kingdom. Mill is the Latin word for thousands, of the Millennial Kingdom. How many of you have ever heard of the Millennial Kingdom? Okay. And some of you not. So let's learn of it today. Here we go. You see, there's coming a day when Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, will reign in power and glory on this earth in a glorious kingdom. Remember when Pilate said to Jesus, are you a king? And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Not at that time. There was much yet to do. But there is coming a day when Jesus was just about to ascend into heaven. His disciples said, Lord, are you now going to establish your kingdom? They were ready for it then. They anticipated there's coming a day when Jesus Christ would sit on a earthly throne, the kingdom of God, and would rule everything. Well, there's coming a day when that will happen. It will far eclipse any former kingdom or empire of man. The Egyptian, the Babylonian, the Greek, the Roman, the Mayan, the Incan, the British, and the American, along with all their singular accomplishments, will pale in comparison to the kingdom ruled over by Jesus Christ, the millennial kingdom. Now, John only gives a few verses to it, but the entire Bible anticipates it. And this morning, I would have us all be enthralled by it. So consider with me this morning, these five observations, you have them on your sheet there, these five observations concerning the thousand-year earthly kingdom of Jesus Christ. And these observations arise directly from the revelation given to John. Here's the first one. I phrase it this way. The kingdom, that is, this kingdom of Jesus Christ, this millennial kingdom, The kingdom begins with the victory won by Christ over rebellious mankind and Satan's agents. Remember Satan's agents we've talked about? There's the Antichrist. There's the beast. There's the false prophet. There's all these human instruments of his that have been besieging mankind for an entire seven-year period. Three and a half years of the tribulation to begin with that was just made life miserable for any believer on earth. Many, many believers, we call them tribulation saints, lost their lives during that time. And then the second three and a half years of that seven-year period is when God's wrath is poured down upon this earth. We've looked at that, the bowls, the seven bowls of God's wrath. Worldwide upon men who still were cursing God and hating God, not repenting, and at the end of that seven years, we saw last week, here comes the King of kings and Lord of lords, and the tribulation is ending, and the kingdom Is beginning. And here we say the kingdom begins with the victory won by Christ over rebellious mankind and Satan's agents. Well, here we read Revelation chapter 19, beginning verse 17. John says, And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds who were flying in midair Come, gather yourself for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings and generals and mighty men of horses and their riders and the flesh of all people, free and slaves, small and great. Man, that's Brucell. All the vultures, all the the birds that would eat flesh, he summons them to come. There's gonna be a great feast for them. John says, then I saw the beast And the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider. That's the king of kings and lord of lords riding on that white horse. We saw last week, followed by all the armies, the hosts of heaven. He says, they gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured. And with him, the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. With these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshiped his image. The two of them, the beast and the false prophet, were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest of them, that means all the rest of the rebellious human beings, were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. True. I have a tough time when I see a crow going after some little thing that is laying on the side of the road, and I look quick at the little dogs I'm walking with and say, "Let's see how big, see how big they get." Gotta watch out for some of these birds, these flesh-eating things. Here they're summoned. You know, it seems noteworthy to me that John does not depict some knocked-down, dragged-out warfare between two evenly matched foes. It would appear, on the other hand, that as soon as the Lord shows up, the battle is over. He just says, they gathered to take up arms against rider on the horse and his armies and then it just says and the beast was captured the beast was captured and with him the false prophet and the rest of them were killed with the sword that is the Word of God that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse and I just thought as I read that I trust that's your testimony I trust that it's always our testimony that as soon as the Lord shows up, the battle's over. Have you found that to be true? Things you battle with, things that you try to work on your own, when you finally, I surrender all, when we finally ask the Lord to just take charge of, of that situation, that feeling in our heart, that circumstance, when we truly give it to Him, the battle's over. Amen? The Lord doesn't have to fight it out nose to nose with the devil. He is the Lord. As soon as the Lord shows up, the battle is over. Just remember, and the Lord, who is the Spirit, is with you at all times. He would have you and I live with a sense of continual victory in our lives. Allow the word of God. That unchangeable sword of the word, the unchangeable truths of God. Allow the word of God to fight your battles for you. Amen. The word of God covers it all. There's nothing we will encounter that there's not something in the word of God that is the answer. We don't have to make it up. We don't have to figure it out. We just trust in what God has said about who he is and what he does and what his plans for our lives are. And just watch his word work its way through our world. That's the first observation. The kingdom of Christ begins with the victory won by Christ over rebellious mankind and Satan's agents. Observation two the kingdom involves the setting aside of Satan himself there's no room for Satan in the kingdom of God say that to yourself there's just no room for Satan in the kingdom of God now do you suppose we could make an application there and say to the degree as Jesus said the kingdom is within you that's where it begins that if we really are living in light of God's truths, if we really are letting Christ be the king of our life, we're really allowing the Holy Spirit to walk us as, as though he's the, the man at the head of the troops and we're just walking with him. Can we really believe there, there's no room for Satan in that scenario? Satan knows that. We should know that. God's word says, submit yourself to God, James chapter 1. Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. He knows the playbook better than we do. He knows what he's allowed to do better than we know what he's allowed to do. There's no room for Satan in the kingdom of God, in the place where submission to God is being experienced, being demonstrated. And so that's what happens here. It says, John says now in chapter 20, verse 1, And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss. (laughs) The abyss. Whatever you can imagine. The biggest, darkest, blackest hole there could be. Having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. He sees the dragon. So who's more powerful, the angel or the dragon? Again, doesn't talk about a big knockdown dragon fight that took maybe a century and a half or so. The angel comes down, John says, I saw it. He had a big chain in his hand and he had a key to the abyss and he sees the devil, he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan. John wants to make sure we don't mess up our identity there. He is the ancient serpent, who is the devil, or Satan, the dragon. And this angel bound him. Bound Satan for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations any more. No room for Satan in the kingdom of God. No room for his lies in the kingdom of God. He would deceive the nations no more until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a small time. A short time. Now only Adam and Eve have ever known life in this world without Satan's dominating presence in it. And they only experienced it, it would seem, for a short time. I'm always uh, perplexed and kind of a little... uh, torn when I read Genesis and find out that Adam and Eve were created perfect and they loved one another and they loved God and they loved the world they were in. It was paradise. It was perfect. And then the serpent came and deceived Eve. And I always wonder, was it like on the first day? Did, Did... Did they get to enjoy that at all? Or was Satan so determined to destroy the works of God he didn't even let one day go by? Or or did he wait until they got kind of used to perfection? Got used to things being just absolutely paradise. But whatever it was, only Adam and Eve have ever experienced life on this earth absent Satan. I'll tell you, what would it be like? And what will it be like to live under the wise, loving authority of Jesus Christ with no satanic voice to challenge every word he speaks and come against every law he lays down? The prophets of old envisioned a world where men who are just naturally given to warfare, where men will beat their swords into plowshares, and where even the animals will make peace with one another. It says in Isaiah 11, 6, the wolf will lay down with the lamb. What a world. What a world. I can't even get my two dogs to get along. There the wolf will lay down with the lamb. I said to Linda, I always thought that phrase was the lion will lay down with the lamb because we use it that way. But when you look through the scripture, it doesn't have the lion and the lamb together. The wolf and the, and it says a lion will start to eat grass and not eat meat anymore. And, but a wolf, a starving hungry wolf will somehow have his needs met. And he can cuddle up with a a little lamb that would have, in the past, been right at the top of his list. What a world. What a world. Even the animals are at peace with one another. Mankind is at peace with one another. Everyone is living under the leadership of Jesus Christ. And Satan, the deceiver, Satan, the would-be destroyer of it all, is set aside for how long? A thousand years! Wow! How many of us can even imagine ten seconds without the devil around? A thousand years! For multiple generations of mankind, there is nothing suggested in the Bible that all of a sudden people are going to live for the whole thousand years. I mean, the human generation genome isn't changing this is still a fallen cursed world so a thousand years would be generation after generation after generation people having children and grandchildren and great great grandchildren even if people lived uh, you know even if it became kind of normal to live about 100 years or 120 years you know 120 years After 120 years maximum there will be not a single person on the face of the earth who can remember any other world than the world of the millennial kingdom a world where animals get along with each other a world where there's no war a world where there's peace a world where the loving gracious son of God is the recognized ruler of the whole thing where man's creativities are being directed in a way, who knows what such a civilization will produce. At least 900 of that thousand years, there will be people who never knew the world in any other way. They don't even know what a Satan is. They don't even know what what people in the past had struggled with. They just know Jesus it will seem like heaven on earth. Earth citizens will experience the best that God has to offer. They will experience just about what Adam and Eve were originally offered. And I'll just say it again, they will experience a Satan free existence. If you could sign up for that, how many of you would sign up? That almost sounds like better than heaven, doesn't it? Because we don't know what heaven is like, but we're getting a feeling that life on this earth under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God himself, is going to be awesome. And it will be for a thousand years. Here's the third now of our five key observations of this thousand-year kingdom. The kingdom includes... All those who have died for Christ during the tribulation, all of those what we call tribulation saints, all those martyrs who died during the tribulation, they will be part of the population of the millennial kingdom. And here's how it works out. Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. John says, I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. That's an interesting statement. We won't get into that because that's the kind of statement you just wind up guessing about anyway. Jesus once told his own disciples, don't you know you will judge the 12 tribes of Israel? There is judgment that takes place at the end of time, and there are people, there are beings who are given responsibility to judge. Well, John just says, I saw the thrones they're going to be sitting on. And God saw them sitting there. He says, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast. See, they lived during the tribulation. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life of Christ with the coming of the king they had come to life resurrected and reigned with Christ reigned with Christ for a thousand years so they're going to be part of it all those who had been faithful to Christ during the tribulation who had lost their lives who were martyred for Christ they will be resurrected and in a glorious body just like Jesus own the glorious resurrected body, just like the glorious resurrected body you and I will have someday, they, in that glorious state, no longer subject to sin or disease or to death, they will reign with Christ. A great number of them, I'm sure.
1: Then John says, blessed
0: and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death, which is really death and hell, spiritual death, eternal death, the second death has no power over them. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Can you just imagine? They will be the ones representing Jesus Christ all around the world. Priests of God, standing in God's stead on this earth, in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Now, do you remember when we were first introduced to these martyrs, these tribulation martyrs? It was way back in Revelation chapter 6, and John wrote this, Revelation 6, verse 9. I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. Exactly what it says about these martyrs in chapter 20. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth, those people who did this to us, and avenge our blood? This now in chapter 20 is describing their time. Not only will their blood be avenged, they themselves will be promoted to places of great honor in the kingdom they as resurrected, glorified beings, it says, will reign with Christ the whole thousand years. And much reigning and ruling will need to be done. An entire world. An entire world with an ever-expanding population will be under kingdom jurisdiction. For at least, as we said, 900 of those thousand years, the people on earth will have known no other kind of life. How many of you have had really good parents? Good parents. (coughs) You know, you knew they loved you, and they made rules that were good for you. And how many, even though you had good parents, ever had a moment where you questioned them? ever had a moment where you kind of wanted to skirt around something they had said, even though they're good. Parents. See even with Jesus Christ on the throne, in charge of the whole world, the point of it is he's in charge of the whole world and there's a lot of ruling, there's a lot of reigning that needs to be done. There's a lot of structuring, a lot of organizing. It'll take a lot of people to keep people in line. Might some of those people on earth eventually find such tightly governed structures to be somewhat confining? Might they begin to test the limits laid down on them? Will they still be members of Adam's fallen race? These human beings born during the millennial kingdom. Yes, they will. Indeed they will. And such a realization that people born even during the millennial kingdom under the ruling and the present ministry of Jesus Christ will still be born as fallen human beings, as members of Adam's fallen race, needing to be directed, controlled, And ever in danger of just getting out of line. That realization readies us for this fourth observation. The kingdom.
1: Here's another
0: thing the kingdom accomplishes. The kingdom sets the stage for one final demonstration of man's rebellious nature. Man's fallen nature, your fallen nature, my fallen nature, just loves to show itself. Just loves to go public and say, I'm in charge here. Nobody's telling me what I'm going to do. And even if somebody bigger and stronger than me says I must do it, when that person's out of sight, I can say to myself, yeah. Yeah, well, not when you're not here. Our fallen nature knows no submission to anything but itself. And even when there's not a devil to deceive it, in and of itself, it is what it is. And so look at this. Take to heart these scriptures, beginning with Revelation 20, verse 7. Now, John says, when the thousand years are over, You think, why don't they just last forever? Well, because it's not heaven. This is not eternity. These are not people who have been all glorified into eternal states. These are human beings living on a still fallen and sin-cursed world under the administration of Jesus Christ, but uh, things still, like I said, they're still human beings. So look what happens. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the world. See, the the whole world is populated again. Maybe there's more people on it than there are now. A thousand years of just perfect uh, conditions could lead to a lot of growth. Nations are in existence. Some of Christ's own people are no doubt administering justice in every nation on earth. It's not just the city of Jerusalem and a a few people around it. It's the whole world. And Satan will be released and will go out to deceive the nations. There we are again. Deceiving them, telling them things that are not so. God, may God. And he will seek to gather them for battle. I know Satan was a glorious being, one of the highest angels, but aren't there times you say, man, he must be a moron. He must be as dumb as dirt. Didn't he just lose a big battle? It didn't even come to a battle. The king arrived and the battle was over. Hasn't he been losing all along? Or is it just his attitude is, I know I'm going to lose, but I'm going to take as many with me that'll destroy it'll put a big gap chunk out of the kingdom of God I'll take as many with me as I can and so he gathers the the people on earth together for battle it says in number they're like the sand on the seashore this is a huge group of human beings who are willing to believe whatever it is that Satan is going to tell them Which is basically, you don't have to knuckle under anymore. People in Jesus' own day, when he walked upon the earth and lived a pure, sinless, holy, godly life, that a bunch of people just loved him and hung on every word he said, there were other people who who despised him. Just because Jesus will be sitting on a throne and he has all the power in all the world, it doesn't mean there won't be vast numbers of people who just despise him. Despise his righteousness because their own human heart still has a a desire for unrighteousness. And Satan will gather together more than can be numbered. Like the sand on the seashore, they marched across the breadth of the earth And they surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. That would be Jerusalem. So here they are again. Are they going to overcome him this time? Or once again, is this just part of Satan's deception? He has convinced them they can overcome the Lord. He's convinced them. They can take charge of this world. He's convinced them that their rebellion will be successful. Even though he has to know, it will not. And so here they are. All the armies of the earth surrounding the city of Jerusalem once again. And look what it says. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. Jesus didn't even have to get an army together this time. Not the hosts of heaven coming on white uh, horses to to confront the, the beast and the false prophet. This is Satan gathering everyone together and it says and fire came down from heaven and just devoured them. Amazing. Amazing that Satan could gather together such a He would find people open to his persuasive words just like Eve's ears were. You shall be, you can be like God.
1: You can rise above this
0: structure you're you're living within. And you see, ever since Adam and Eve's first act of rebellion, mankind has been possessed by a fallen, rebellious nature. Go ahead, say this to yourself. Don't say it to anybody else. Say it to yourself right now. I've got one of those. I've got a fallen, rebellious nature. I will not make you raise your hand. But if you're honest, if we, together, are honest, every one of us in this room will say, born again or not, It's not until heaven we'll be done with this. As long as we're in this world, the truth is, I, you, each of us, has a fallen, rebellious nature. Even in a near-perfect world like the Millennial Kingdom, man will still seek to shape his own destiny. He will yearn for the control of his own life. Good environment does not overcome man's urge to rebel. Let me say that again, because there's so many people in the world that just say, if we could just make the environment better, if we could give this this person a, a healthier environment to live in, if we could just provide this or we could provide that, if we could make up for this deficiency or make up for that one, they'd be just fine. They'd be just fine. Dare I say, because every now and then I mention it, over the years I've seen it, how, how many wonderfully committed, attractive, hopeful, young Christian women, fine guys, that they say, I just need to improve his environment. All he needs is a good woman, like me, all he needs is someone to love him, to take care of him. I know he's got hang-ups, I know he's got problems, but you know, they're all because. But if only we made his environment better, change the things around him, and all of a sudden what's inside him will be better. That's a biblical lie, that, that's a satanic lie. But I can't tell you how many people, and sometimes it's a guy who gets hooked into that the lie of the devil. The modernists believes that lie. The liberals believe that lie. If we can just change people's environment, they'll become better people. And yet the Bible says every single human being has at the heart of him or her a rebellious, sinful nature. A desire to control their own life in one way or another. And then when you get control of your own life, if you have the power to take control of other people's lives. That's a sinful desire. And it's there. It's part of us. Man in his fallen state is forever open to Satan's mesmerizing words. You can be like God himself. You can run your own life. You don't have to bow the knee to That's why. That's why Jesus, who knew that he would one day rule over this planet as king of kings and lord of lords, still spoke these words to Nicodemus. They're recorded in John chapter 3. Jesus said, Nicodemus, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and of the spirit. Flesh, the physical, gives birth to physical. But the spirit what gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. You see, what man comes into this world with is twisted, is rebellious, is sinful, is fallen, and there must be something new put in him, not the circumstances around him made better. And so Jesus knew that even in the best of human circumstances, unsaved men and women would not cease to be what they have always been, rebellious, sinful human beings. The prophet Jeremiah was lamenting over this fact, man's natural condition, when he wrote in Jeremiah 17.9, he said, the heart of man is deceitful. Satan loves that. People do the same thing that he's been doing all these years, deceiving. The heart of man is deceitful above all things, and the NIV says, and beyond cure. Well, God can cure it, but it cannot be healed on its own. It remains what it is forever. Sad to say, even a thousand (laughs) years of Christ's kingdom rule will not overcome that basic fact. People will not start getting born better and better and better. They will be human beings even up to the 999th year of the millennial kingdom. Babies born will be born in sin. Just like David said, his mother gave birth to him. And here's the deal. Satan's momentary release will demonstrate that. Why are they willing to listen to him? Why can he gather together an opposition force to the Son of God? Because people are still people. And apart from a spiritual change, they they stand against God. And so then we come to the final observation that we'll make concerning this kingdom. Here it goes. The, The kingdom concludes with Satan's judgment and the great white throne judgment of all unsaved mankind. Revelation 20, verse 10. It says, fire came down from heaven and consumed them, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They'd been in there for a thousand years. Satan was just in the abyss. Now he is joining them in that place of torment. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and Hades (coughs) gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. This is just my opinion, but I don't believe there is one saved person standing in that judgment. The church has been raptured. All those who were saved and are part of the church have already been taken to heaven. They're not there. The tribulation saints, we've seen them gathered to heaven. And the tribulation believers who were martyred, we've seen them come back to life and reign with Christ. And John says, that's the first, the first resurrection of this period of time. It's good to belong to that one. So they all come. So now the question is, during this thousand-year reign of Christ, is anybody actually saved at all? Or is this just a thousand-year period of demonstrating the rebellion of mankind even to the Son of God? John doesn't spell it all out, so time will tell and we'll find out. But see, there's books, and then there's a book. Books filled with all the deeds of mankind. And I believe somehow God will take into account people's sins. Jesus said it will be more tolerable for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for the people who lived in his own day who had Jesus speaking to them and they called him a blasphemer. So there's God takes into account what's in that book, what you did, how bad it was. Here's the books, the record. And then over here is the book, the book of life. And I'm suggesting when these books are opened, there's not one of these people's names in the book of life. It seems like their names are all over here. And John goes on to say, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. There's at least a possibility that at that great white throne judgment, there is no one standing there whose name is in this book. I can't swear to that. But it just seems as we see the the believers being taken out of this world. When we see the purpose of the millennial kingdom. When we see the fact that Satan could so easily rally together practically the, the whole world against the Savior. It's possible. At least, here's what you want to know. You don't want to be standing in front of that judgment. You want to know that your life's been given to Jesus Christ. You want to know that your sins, even though they might have one time been in a book, God's erased them all. God's erased them all. See, if your sins are still in that book, that means there's still a record against you. Paul says for those who give their life to Christ, there's no more condemnation for them. Our sins have been erased. That's what it means to have them forgiven. Our sins have been erased. Our name isn't in the book of bad deeds. Our name is in the Lamb's book of life. Praise God for that. And horrors to those whose name is not there. And I know your heart goes out to, we're not going to be part of the millennial kingdom. I mean, at least it's at least seven years away from now. You and I are going to be in heaven. Some that we love might make it to the millennial kingdom. But if there's even the possibility that the age of grace does not extend to the millennial kingdom, and it's simply to demonstrate once and for all the rebellion of mankind, even in the face of the Son of God, then we want people to come to Christ before those days. They might get saved during the tribulation, we know that. Who knows here what these books contain? And so I just say that, that's a possibility. And that whole period, see, is for the purpose of of doing several things. The millennial kingdom is for the purposes of fulfilling the promises made to the Jewish people in the Old Testament days. It's for rewarding the faithful martyrs of the tribulation period who will reign with Christ. And it's for honoring Jesus Christ as the rightful King of kings and Lord of lords and demonstrating the necessity of God making all things new. We're going to read that verse next week, Revelation 21. All things need to make be made new because as things are, they can't just be renovated into something that is pleasing to God. And so a good bit of this, I'll have to put under that heading that our Abba Father is being mysteriously purposeful. Would you agree? Say amen to that. There's a lot of mystery in this. But our God's purposes are being fulfilled. However, if you haven't to this point felt some hope stirring in your heart, here's what I'd suggest just as we close. Today's revelation generated hope. Number one, here. Before the story of this fallen world is concluded, put your hope in this. God will tie up every loose end and will wrap up every continuing or ongoing story. You read the Old Testament, you say to yourself, well, what about, what about, what about? God will will wrap up every single loose end you might find dangling in the scripture somewhere and bring it to a beautiful conclusion. Satan's head will be crushed. Is that not good? Mm -hmm. Genesis chapter 3, God promised Eve that your offspring, there will be one that, that comes from the human race, that he will crush, he will bite your heel, but you will crush his head, speaking of the serpent. And we see here Satan finally put away Destroy entirely. And then Abraham's seed will rule over the nations on the throne of David and all nations will be blessed. God promised Abraham that. God promised David that he would have uh, an heir who would sit on his throne and his throne would go on until the end of the age. And here we see that being fulfilled. And then we see the absolute necessity of new birth. It will be demonstrated as Satan once again is able to deceive the nations. New birth is essential. Becoming a child of God spiritually alive is essential to fulfill the purposes of God. And those are all things being revealed by this this millennial kingdom and by the things that God has Revealed through John to us, and so I'd say the ultimate message of the thousand-year kingdom is contained in today's final thought, which is this: Though humanists, as people who just think a human being's an awesome thing in and of himself, and they're all good, and children are born good, and everybody's good, and if, if, even even that, the thinking today—if you just got rid of all police, everybody'd be happy good, because people are good. It's just the fear of being judged that makes them, you know, kind of antsy. That's not people as the Bible understands people. Though humanists say that people are basically okay, the truth is they are not. Keep sharing the gospel. People need to be born again. If they're going to escape the judgment of God and enter into a heavenly realm, an eternal realm, they must be born again. They must be forgiven of their sins. They must be granted new life through the Holy Spirit, and that's essential. It doesn't matter how good they seem to be. Because a lot of people can seem to be good as inside they're just controlling things to to their own advantage. People need to be saved. And to be saved, they need to hear the gospel. They need to hear the story. They need to know who and what they really are in the eyes of God. And they need to know what Jesus Christ has done for them by living that perfect life himself and by laying down his life in their place on Calvary so that they, can receive the gift of eternal life. Oh, I trust everybody in this room has that gift. I trust every one of us is anticipating seeing just a little bit more of God's plan for mankind unfold. It might be uh, unfolding pretty quickly right in front of us right now. There might be another 200 years to go, but you and I don't have 200 years, and if you know somebody that hasn't given their heart to Jesus Christ, Man, you, you just keep at it. You tell them, you tell them, you pray for them because there is no hope apart from Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, now we do just uh, <clears throat> thank you for telling us the rest of the story. Even though it's in these vivid images you gave to John, we certainly know what you're saying. There's coming an end to all things. And only those who personally trust in Jesus Christ will come through into the eternal realm. Father, if there's anyone here, even today, who has not trusted Christ as Savior, who is not sure that they have, may they right now just say, Oh, Father, I confess I'm a sinner. I confess I have a rebellious spirit within me. I confess that I'm a fallen human being And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And I trust in Jesus Christ, your son, as my savior from the penalty of sin. I receive him and I give my life to him. Give to me, Father, the gift of your Holy Spirit to walk me through this life. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.